Alrighty, this week we've got Brad Jelinek on the show. Uh, Brad's coming off his rookie year on the Invitationals, uh, going into year two. Um, he had a up-and-down season on the Invitationals, really solid Plains Division Toyota Series season, finished second in AOI, so we get into all that. We talk about uh, live scope, A-rigs, jerk baits, uh, a lot of fun stuff there. We talk about his baseball career that uh, never came to fruition, which was a thing I didn't know about him and I actually thought was pretty interesting. It's kind of cool to dig into. And uh, anyway, I guess it's just a good, solid off-season show. Nothing super specific, but it's a good way to get to know a guy a little bit more. And uh, also, you know, there's a few tips in there and stuff like that too. So uh, anyway, thanks for listening. Alrighty, and we are now joined by Brad Jelinek, who is uh, coming off his rookie season on the Invitationals, going into his sophomore season, and is actually celebrating his 29th birthday today. Uh, congratulations, man, uh, on a great year and happy birthday. I think this is probably the first time I've recorded on someone's birthday that I know of anyway. Yeah, it's an awesome birthday present here. Oh, yeah, this is what really everyone dreams about. Absolutely. Podcast. <laughs> Um, cool, cool. Uh, I guess maybe we'll start off with the invitational stuff and just kind of get that out of the way. Cause I, yeah. it seems like something we've got to talk about, you know, if we didn't, I think people would wonder, um, but there's a lot of other stuff I want to get to as well. So this year you fished them and really like a whole crew of Missouri guys and like folks in your region fished them, um, and you finished 61st overall, had some really good tournaments, some not-so-good tournaments. Yeah, uh, definitely. It was, I guess, kind of up and down. I feel like, you know, you did well in the home pond. Clark's Hill was good. And then, like, you went to some places that were, like, I wouldn't even say not in your wheelhouse necessarily, but, like, yeah, yeah it was so, bad. So, <laughs> you know? Ufala was a deal that I got caught up in sight fishing and my buddy Harlan, who is probably honestly one of the best like guys that I've ever seen finding fish, sight fishing. Mm -hmm. And for me, I would definitely say that's not something I'm good at. And Brock, my other buddy who did really well in that tournament, he was catching those pre-spawn bass, which is what I should have been doing. And I just, I got bought in on the bed fishing deal and just honestly wasted my time and had a terrible tournament and just kind of learned from it. But that's kind of what you, uh, what you have to do in those in those bad tournaments is learn from them. And the the Potomac, I uh, I had some really unfortunate bad luck. I was having motor problems before I got there. Um, mm -hmm. Took my boat and get it serviced, and we thought it was all good. And on the way there, we stopped in Michigan to do like a little smallmouth trip, and I noticed it was still having problems. And that was the first tournament that the Mercury crew wasn't there, and I was like, man, I. I mean, there's nothing that I can do about it, yeah, so I'm just going to run the boat. And the first day, I actually, I was, like, right in the middle. I think I had right around 13 pounds. So, like, I was one bite away from being where I needed to be. And I was on some pretty quality fish. I was having a lot of fun catching a lot of fish. And right at day two takeoff, my motor blew up. And I was like, oh my God. this is the worst place for that to happen because it's a tidal fishery. And the stuff that I was doing, obviously, involved the tide. And I was like almost completely out of mad woman in the middle of the river and turned my pillow motor on high and just fished. I mean, just I caught like three fish. It was terrible. Wow. So 
just really unfortunate there. But the Ufala tournament, I just made a very bad decision and learned from it. Yeah. Uh, that Ufala one, next one was Lake of the Ozarks. Did you bed fish in that? Or? So, yeah. Um, I actually was catching some fish pre-spawn, and I knew that there was a lot of fish moving. And that lake is is unbelievably, like, section-oriented. So from the dam to, like, the 6-mile, that's a zone. From the 6-mile to the 12, that's a zone, and so on. And I was kind of in that 12-mile zone where the fish were starting to pull up pretty big, but where John Cox and those guys really uh, did very well. They were... They were down towards the dam a little more. And after that tournament, so the answer your question, half and half. I, I sight fished some and wacky rig some. But I remember I was frustrated because I knew those guys, what they were doing, didn't know where. And I put the boat on the trailer, drove down lake after day three weigh-in, and went out and practiced for my tournament the next day. And we ended up getting like third or fourth with almost 17 pounds of bed fishing. And I remember getting down lake, and I was seeing these – just giant beds with three and four or five pounders on them. And I'm like, this is the most obvious bed fishing stuff ever. And it was funny. Harlan and I were joking. We're out there trying to catch those fish that are in six to eight foot of water. You can barely see and they can't, they won't bite. And we go down lake and there's fish in a foot of water that have been there for two weeks that are biting first cast. It's like, come on, man. But I mean like that, just learn from it and was fortunate to have a tournament the next day and went out and practiced and learned. Nice. Yeah. That's how you, uh, that's how John Cox wins a tournament. He gets half a lake full of bedfish, mostly to himself. Unreal. (laughs) And, uh, there you go. Unreal. Yeah. That was an interesting one because it did feel like, you know, there were a bunch of, there were a decent number of people down in that lower end of the lake, Mm -hmm. but it wasn't crowded. Like, it was basically just everyone who was there was doing really good. Yeah. And if you, and and there weren't a lot of people there, like just sort of in the way, so to speak. That's, that's the, that's the awesome thing about Lake of the Ozarks. It's, you can get lost in that thing. There's so many places you can fish, so many ways you can fish at all times of the year. And it's, it's just a very awesome lake to have these bigger tournaments at because it's not going to be crowded. Um, and that's another thing like you you take from the invitationals last year. There was a couple places that fish real crowded. And me, I'm not the type I have I need to learn how to fish that way because those guys are there for a reason. Obviously, uh it's not like I try to avoid crowds and I know most people do too, but there is a way that you can fish in a crowd and still be successful and that's something that I need to get better at as well because where I'm at, we're fortunate enough to get away from a lot of people and Lake of the Ozarks being one of those places. Yeah, like the Ozarks is huge, and like Truman, I don't, I guess I don't know, but I feel like it doesn't get the same level of fishing pressure as some of those other lakes around there. Yeah, it's a, I, I think it's because a lot of people are scared of it. You, uh, you can destroy a boat there for one, and two, the fishing is not not as good as Lake of the Ozarks, but it's still got some awesome fish in there. I mean, it takes there's points of the year it takes twenty, twenty one, twenty two pounds to win these tournaments around here. and it's got the fish. It just, it's not as easy to catch them. That's for sure. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you call what fifteen a day in the fall in Truman, in Truman <clears throat> yeah. in September. Like that's pretty good. Yeah, yeah, and uh, and got second. Like I didn't even win. So it just goes to show yeah. that it's it's got the quality there. Um, what lakes this year did you feel like fished particularly crowded, and like how did that affect you? 
Um, definitely Okeechobee. Um, it seemed yeah. like there was two sections of that thing that were producing the most fish. And the first day of that tournament, I said, I'm not going to worry about nothing but myself. Just kind of keep the blinders on and just focus on front of me. And I caught them decent. I had like 15 pounds or whatever. And was, again, one bite away. And day two, I let it get to me like I was seeing all these guys catch fish around me and I was kind of just not paying attention to what I was doing. I wasn't going to go over there and fish with their fish. And it was just the fact yeah. I was not catching them and everybody else was one of those deals. And I ended up catching a small limit, but I was just not focused on myself the whole time. Um, you fall in a way, like I said, I was trying to bed fish and every time I go somewhere, there'd be, there was like six bass on the bed, on the bed, the whole lake. And I'm trying to catch one of them. So <laughs> it's not very smart, but that one was kind of like that. And then the Potomac, um, it seemed like some of those better areas, there was, there was, I mean, quite a few guys fishing those better areas and yeah, I yeah, just, Potomac is always crowded. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. What, uh, I guess while we're, we're, we're on the subject here, why did you, why did you decide to fish the invitationals this last year? And then why did you sign up again for this year? Cause yeah, so there's the, been like, you've got a lot of options in bass <laughs> fishing these days, you know, and not yeah. everyone is really honestly like a great option, but you've got stuff to pick from. Yeah. It's definitely not an easy time to be a professional bass fisherman right now. So it is, uh, I've always been super competitive and love bass fishing and it's definitely a dream of mine to fish as at the highest level that I can for sure. Um, but last year, I guess it'd be two years now I fished the Toyotas full season my second full season and like coming into truman i was in a spot where like dang i could qualify for the the pro circuit and not even really paying attention to it and had a really good finish on the home pond and ended up qualifying i was like dang that's pretty cool and harlan and austin they were pretty much convinced they were fishing so i was like well i guess if i make it that's the there's a the opportunity there and made it and then made the decision to fish them and like i said it's it's a dream and goal of mine to fish at the highest level that I can very competitive and just love it. I love going to new lakes, learning them and catching fish, just very satisfying to me and feel like I'm decent at it. So it's, it's another good thing. Um, but this year at the end of the deal, I was kind of like, man, is this what I want to do again? Or do I want to stick around locally? Do I want to fish the opens? Do I want to fish the MPFL? It's just a lot of stuff going on. And to kind of sum it all up, uh, I want to fish with my friends again, for sure, because I'm, I, I we're going to these places and it's really hard to do on your own to go travel. Yeah. Yeah. So we are like, all right, we're going to stick it out one more year and just kind of see how it goes. And like I was saying earlier, I left a lot of meat on the table last year. I feel like if I make a better decision at Eufaula, I have a better tournament. And then if I don't have the unfortunate thing that happened at Potomac, I have another good finish and I'm right there one other good tournament away from qualifying for the Bass Pro Tour. So I was like, I definitely think I can compete and have a chance at making the top five this year and, and points and see what happens. So that was another thing that I went into it. And then I got two little boys and a wife. So I have to find a way to provide for my family. And I'm very fortunate to have um, some sponsors to where I can do this at, at this level to where if I do make a check in these tournaments, um, it's not a $2,000 check. It's a check that I can provide for, for my family. So that also took, I took that into consideration as well. Um, bass vision is not cheap and you can't always count on a check. That's why I guide to, to where 
if I do get lucky and make a check, it seemed like that was my best route for this coming year was to fish the, the invitationals versus the opens or the MPFL. Yeah, I think I think one thing, I guess if you're going 200 to, let's say, I'm assuming it's not going to be oh, God, 150 guys that fish all the invitationals. So mm-hmm. you're probably dealing with what, like 100 and. 30 or 120 maybe for points considerations like yeah maybe even less honestly yeah like your odds of making that top level right are probably as good on the invitationals as they are anywhere else Mm -hmm. i would guess yeah i agree with that and like that's like i don't want to say it's easy to make the bass pro tour but i feel like wherever you're fishing, you don't want to really be fishing AAA for really long term. No, right? You correct. want to be fishing at the top level. Yeah, correct. And and so I feel like there's a that's another reason where you've got some comfortability, you've got a good crew, you like you could be set up for a really quality year. Like that's another yeah. reason where it makes more sense to me. I and guess. and another thing too is the schedule I feel like lined up pretty good for at least on paper for kind of my strengths versus like I was saying earlier, like I love sight fishing. It's not the not what I'm the best at. And last year there was like three or four spawning tournaments. It's not my favorite time to year fish. It seems like I tend to do better pre-spawn or post-spawn. And I feel like we're gonna be kind of around those tournaments where we can utilize some electronics, which I'm not mad about either. Yeah. Yeah. What uh what tournaments on the schedule like stick out to you? Because you just went to Kentucky and I think you had a top ten there, right? In the plains. Yeah. Yep. Uh, at like almost the same time of year. So yeah, the exact that one should be exciting. And yeah, I mean, there's yeah, gotta be some other ones that you're all yeah, that one looking for sure. for. For sure. That one. Um, I'm, I'm really excited for Rayburn actually going to go there and get some pre-fishing in before cutoff because I've never been there and that would, uh, Fake. yeah, I've heard <laughs> and I've heard it can get rough. So Definitely going to have to pay attention to that. So I'm excited yeah. for that one. I'm excited to go smallmouth fishing. Don't get to do it a whole lot, but I absolutely love it. And I just want to be like you when I grow up and catch big smallmouth. So that'll, that's, those are some other ones that I'm really excited for. And like I mentioned before, I just, I love going to these new places and trying to figure them out. It's a, it's my, it's my absolute favorite thing to do. Did you have a favorite place that you went to this last year that was new to you? Dude, uh, I can't, lacrosse wasn't new to me, but I love that place. Um, I did, I think I had like, I got like 20 something place, like a good finish. I mean, made a check and had a fish day three. Anytime you're doing that, that's, that's a good thing. So it's not, it wasn't, uh, the best finish I've ever had fishing, but dude, I just love going there. Catch. It seems like when you find them, you catch a lot of fish. So lacrosse was probably my favorite this year. I've only fished one tournament there and it went really bad but <laughs> i have I, I feel like from a fun fishing perspective that river from let's say lacrosse up or maybe mm. below lacrosse too but i feel like that is like top tier fun fishing because yep. you're not worried about getting places really fast so you can idle across a stump flat and not be like oh i gotta get somewhere yeah and then everything is so cool dude it's like, so, so cool. where you can get a but it's just neat yeah yeah, and uh, I was catching, like I said, I love smallmouth fishing, and I was catching 40, 50 smallmouth keepers a day. It was, and when you found, like, they would move, obviously, but once you relocated them, you just wear them out. Like, I caught, 
I don't know how many fish on a Carolina rig in eelgrass, like in it. You'd throw that Carolina rig in the grass and it would just, and it'd be a two and a half pound smallmouth. And it's like, holy cow, like this is, it's unbelievable. Like you can't, you wouldn't even imagine where those fish were. That's awesome. Yeah. And just get lucky and find them. All right. Um, I guess while we're talking technique a little bit here and like actually catching fish, you, it looks like for a while have been running just two graphs. Yeah. Uh, for a while you had a hummingbird at the console and then Garmin up front. And then now, or at least currently you had a Garmin at the console and then Garmin up front. Why have you been doing that? Cause we're in an era where like running two graphs is wild. Like, uh, that's John Cox level stuff. And then yeah. like, is this the plan going forward? No, honestly, it's uh, what I can afford because that I works mean, too. <laughs> yeah, so I've been very fortunate. And I got I got on the Garmin team this year and going to be running uh, maybe one more unit to where I can afford it. Um, but I've made the switch over to both Garmin's last. So it's been about a year and a half. What happened was I ordered Garmin stuff. It hadn't come in yet, and I borrowed my buddy's eighty six sixteen at the All American. And I was graphing in like two foot of water, like idling out of this pocket or creek or whatever it was in two foot of water. And a hundred feet out to my right, I could see bluegill beds. And I'm like, I have never seen a graph side scan 200 or a hundred feet out and two foot of water and seeing that plain as day. Like this is the best graph I've ever seen. And literally went home and ordered me one because it was that, it was that amazing to me. So I ran an A616 and an A612 so I can uh, talk, so they can talk to each other. When I have waypoints on the dash, I'd go to the front. So that's what I had the two for. And everybody made fun of me, all my friends. I can't believe you don't have a map up here, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, oh, it's kind of worked for me. But yeah, I could see why it would be nice to have a, a map up here too instead of switching back and forth. So come in 2024, Brad's going to step up and probably have his third graph on the boat. <laughs> You're gonna have a map at the bow. Yeah. Stuff. Yeah. Is uh, and for somebody who relies on their electronics a lot, you would think I'd have three or four, but just at the time, just didn't. So, I'd be pretty excited to have that graph up there. Yeah. Have you always run that eighty six hundred series up on the bow? No. Or... No, I had the twelve twenty four and the or the twelve forty or whatever it was before that, and I thought the little knob. Yeah, yeah, okay. and best bang for your buck at the time for me. Um, I felt like I didn't necessarily have to have a touchscreen up there. Felt like I was mm-hmm. reading just fine. And dude, now that I have that eighty six twelve pa- paired with the the powerhouse lithiums, it's unbelievable. Like the clarity is night and day difference with those batteries and that graph. So at at first, I was like, ah, it ain't gonna make that big of a difference. But I remember I didn't charge my batteries for like three days, and the lithium finally died on me and i just switched it over to my agm that i had in the boat and it was still okay but it was nowhere near the same clarity and i was very surprised on that i was like holy cow like this does make a difference especially for stuff that's real tight to the bottom and something you might miss or a fish or something so having those good batteries with that good graph definitely matters are you running the 16 volt one or just like a 12 volt lithium Yep, I had the the 16, and then I had the two uh, trolling motor batteries. And so, so like, if for some reason one of my trolling motor batteries went bad on me or something, I had an extra there, and 
I wasn't just dead in the water. So I have two trolling motor batteries and then a 16 volt. Okay. Um, for the, uh, for your graphs, did you notice a big difference in quality for, and have you ever used the echo maps? The, um, which the echo maps are like the ones that I would say it's what I have. It's what a lot of people have, but I am always like intrigued by this discussion of like, if, live scope is better some places than others you know what i mean right right um my dad has the echo map and brock has the echo map and we use brock's boat every once in a while and it's not like night and day difference i would say the the battery kind of is more important than the the graph in my opinion they're both great graphs they both do just fine but if it does, it says it it has a little bit resolution for the eighty six versus the the Echo Map, and I have the eighty six series, so they could talk to each other because you can't go Echo yeah because the eighty six is like the top of the line, but the Echo yeah. Maps like kind of talk to Echo Maps, but not the basically like the square units, right? Correct, correct. Mm-hmm. But uh, I would say that there probably is a little bit of a difference, but as far as clarity with the, with the batteries, I think the batteries is, is definitely the biggest deal. And I wanted my units to talk. So that's, that's the main reason I was 86 series. Yeah. I, I would say, I guess, you know, going forward, like if you, well, I can't really see a scenario where you wouldn't want to keep running all the same stuff, but like if you were going to not run your 16 at the dash, but you still wanted the 86 at the bow, then maybe you have like echo maps and like, an 86 for scope or something yeah but even then that's not like when you're doing it all in one boat it makes a lot of sense to have interchangeable stuff to a degree Mm -hmm. just in case something breaks you know right right and that's that's another thing um the one thing that's unfortunate about the 86 series is you can't like if you accidentally crack the screen you have to get a whole new unit like i think with the echo map you can actually get the screen repaired i talked to cody huff about it at the ozarks and he was kind of saying how uh, you can switch those screens or something like that, get them fixed a lot easier because I was showing him how my dad, he was sitting in the back of my boat and he went to roll cast and smoked <laughs> my 16 inch screen and cracked it in the corner. Mm. And I was like, Oh my goodness, dad, we can't get that replaced. Like you have to get a whole new million dollars. <laughs> yeah. So he was bummed and I was like, ah, it'd be all right. Because I was telling Cody, I was like, dude, look at this crack. My dad just did the other day with me. And he's like, that's the one one of the big reasons I switched over to the Echo Maps was because of getting them uh, getting them fixed. Huh. Interesting. Mm. I remember he Cody used to run the sixteen for scope though on the bow. Did yeah. he switch back from that, or is he still run just that? Nope. He, as far as I know, he was with the Echo Maps last year when I was talking to him. He had two in the front and two in the adaptive. Yeah. Okay. All right. Well, I am fascinated by live scope, obviously. Yeah. I could talk about like I I could dive into it basically forever. Yeah. I feel like it's improved my fishing so much. Oh, absolutely. It's you just not wasting any time. Like you know what you're fishing for right there. Yeah. So one thing that I feel like you have you know, you said earlier, uh, I guess before we were recording that you feel like you are able to catch umbrella rig fish with a jerk bait. And I know you're good at throwing an umbrella rig because there's a whole lot of Toyota series events where you throw an umbrella rig and <clears throat> probably at brush piles and stuff like that. Uh, do you feel like, but 
throwing an umbrella rig, throwing a jerk bait, that's stuff you do in the Ozarks anyway. How did that change when you got live scope? Like what, what did you go do? What did you do when you went from old school to new school? So I don't really have any kind of like memories of old school fishing. Uh, Cause why bother? It sucks. Yeah. I just, I, <laughs> it seemed like when I, well, when I started bass fishing, um, these bigger tournaments, live scope has always been a thing. Um, so like when I was coming up, the live scope was also coming up to where what happened was, um, I had a buddy. This is, I want to just, so I'm 32. I'll be 33 in February. You are an ancient 29. (laughs) Um, it's amazing to hear you say that. Cause I remember in college, I was like drop shotting brush in on 2d on like screens like this. And yep. you're like, live scope has always been a thing. Pretty much, <laughs> yeah. I think it's just, it's like, it's true. You know, yeah. like the, the both of like your formative years of tournament fishing, right? Like you sort of always had it, like yep. ever since you've been fishing big stuff. So it makes sense. It's just, it's amazing, like how fast it's happened. It really is. The one thing that I kind of, I'm thinking about a little more, I would side scan and like the hummingbird uh, side scan was the thing for me yeah yeah so i'd I'd mark whatever i'd find out there and at the time i don't think i had the two graphs talking to each other so i'd be walking to the back of the boat back to the front of the boat and doing it this way it just makes absolutely zero sense but that's how i would fish the structure and all that stuff i side scan get to the front and try to hit it with my jig or worm or whatever it may be and fish that way and those tournaments where it was cold and I was throwing a jerk bait and an A-rig, it seemed like it was more bank oriented and like transitions and stuff like that, finding out how to catch bass that way. And then when I got live scope, it was like, all right, bank plus structure now is the deal. So ever since live scope, it's been just easier to target those bass uh, in structure with that versus just throwing at the bank. Yeah. Do you find yourself idling as much as you used to to like find stuff or do you spend more time where you're just like i'm on the trolling motor oh there's a thing i'll throw it in yep that is exactly what i do now i mean trolling motor on high and i'm just meandering around out there trying to find whatever to throw out and in practice i'll mark it i don't like catching too many fish in practice so like once i get a clue i kind of just go like lacrosse i got a clue trolling motor on high went and tried to find as much as as i could out there and I was on the trolling motor doing that. Sometimes I was, uh, when I get in a really big area, that's when I side scan. And then, or I guess when I first am looking for a clue, I side scan. And then when I get in a really big area, I side scan. But other than that, once I kind of get it dialed in, then I'm on the trolling motor. Okay. Makes sense. Um, what are some of the keys to like fishing a jerk bait really well? Um, cause the Ozarks are like a place for that. Yeah. Yeah. And dude, I used to absolutely despise throwing a jerkbait. Like I hated it. I, I remember I'd go to the Ozarks when I first start fishing, like, and just get my butt kicked. Like I wouldn't catch anything. I'd go two weeks and I would not catch anything. And I couldn't, I just couldn't figure it out. And then finally one thing just clicked and I was like, Oh, this is fun. And then ever since then, like these last three or four years with a jerkbait, it's my favorite way to catch them. Uh, I would say just you got to figure out what you're throwing at. Like you got to figure out if the fish are relating to the bank or if they're relating to structure or their points or whatever it may be. Once you figure that out, then 
the having live scope makes a the I mean a big big difference. If you don't have live scope, making sure your jerk bait's not in the right spot mm-hmm. or uh, the right cadence, then you're never going to know if you're doing it the right way or the wrong way. So I think the main thing is is I can be out there in 10, 15 mile an hour winds with a jerk bait that you can barely see on the screen anyway and follow it the whole entire time. So once I kind of got learned how to use the boat and throw a jerk bait in those conditions like that, that seems to be when I excel. Because when you're throwing a rig out there, you can see that thing 120 feet out there, hit the water the whole time. And then you see that jerk bait where I get in with the boat with some awesome fishermen and I try to watch them run the trolling motor with a jerk bait and it's just not working. So that's why most of the time in these team tournaments, I'm in the front of the boat with another one of my buddies and because I can see that jerk bait the entire time and I can pan over and find their jerk bait the entire time. So I think boat control is a huge, huge deal when you're throwing something like that. Hmm. No, I, I can see that. I remember, so we don't, I feel like probably jerk bait as much up North, especially not like you guys do. But when I lived, uh, when I, the first time I threw a jerk bait a bunch was, at Beaver Lake when I went out there for a national championship and it took me forever to like figure out that I needed to fish it slow. Like yeah. you needed to let it pause. And yep. this was like a pre-spawn winter kind of thing. And then when I lived by Kentucky Lake, it was the same deal. And I eventually like I figured out the pause and I figured out the like actually really slowing it down thing. And that was pre-scope and I don't even know if that was doing the right thing anymore. You know, like I have no idea. A lot tougher for sure. So good for you. Um, there, the, the one thing with the jerk bait too, is I think the most important thing is obviously if you need to let it sit there, you let it sit there, but you don't want to have your line. I would say kind of tight when you're working it, you have to have a little bit of slack because you would be amazed. Like if your line's a little tight and you go to twitch it that thing's gonna move like three or four feet and you would have no idea and those fish they don't want that thing moving that far like sometimes they just want it sitting there going like this and if you have your line tight that thing is gonna bolt three to four feet and that fish ain't gonna eat it so it's very important to have like the right amount of tension on that line when you're working it too and i got to the point where it's a feel for me now like i know what that jerk bait's doing down there because i've done it so many times whereas beforehand I would have too much tightness in my line and it would not work how it should. And I would not catch any fish. So once you kind of figure that part out, it definitely goes a long way too. What's your uh, like typical setup for jerk bait? Um, I like throwing on 10 pound fluorocarbon with a, I want to say it's a, a six, six medium action rod with a okay. moderate, maybe I don't even know. It's just, Pretty just, soft rod, pretty small rod. Like you're Yeah, not... yeah. Something that doesn't have a long butt and something that you can, uh, that when you're twitching it, it's the rod tip's not hitting the, the water every time you twitch it. So something something smaller with a, with definitely uh, some more bend to it is the best. I don't like winching the fish in with the jerk bait. I kind of let them play with that rod. And then just, I mean, there's times where you're like just praying, like, oh, I got one. Just please stay on and you're like just barely reeling it in because like with a jig and a worm or a rig that thing ain't getting a chance i'm winching it in all the way into the net or boat flipping whatever it may yep. be with the jerk bait it's like oh man just please get in the boat <laughs> yeah um 
do you uh are you like big on swapping hooks out and stuff like that do you have like a go-to hook uh i i honestly i don't have a huge problem with the mega bass hooks i seem to do pretty good with them honestly they don't last very long Um, i think they're really good largemouth hooks i think for smallmouth like for summer like warmer water yeah hooks or smallmouth hooks i don't like it as much but like largemouth i I think they're really good definitely see that so i tend to use those and then harlan and austin kind of got me on those g finesse hooks too to where those are the other ones that i'll use but i do swap them out a ton like you'd be amazed i mean i'm sure you know and a lot of other people know like you're catching most of these fish and it's got one or two hooks in their mouth sometimes they have it sideways or choked but in the tournament it seems like it's one hook so the hooks make a difference and so do the rod and stuff too just depending on how you want to play them like sometimes these guys don't play them at all they just winch them in and they maybe want a stiffer rod or something but the ones that want to play them want a real soft rod so that makes a difference too yeah those uh those g finesse ones they are wicked they're wicked sharp they're wicked good hooks mm-hmm. but i've noticed like i've had times where like i'll be jerk baiting like grass and catch a fish and come in with like a point rolled over somehow really like what happened here you know (laughs) and it's not like it's a bad like i'm not against the hook like i still i do use them a lot but Mm -hmm. it you're right like you've really got to watch it yeah yeah i guess any hook that small is something you got to watch right right and it it definitely definitely makes a difference same with top water like if you're throwing chub hooks under top water and you got a point rolled over then it makes a difference yeah Tell me about uh, the umbrella rig side of things. Like, obviously, our tournaments, you know, it's three hooks, five wires, five blades. Like, you're a little bit limited in your creativity, I guess. Mm-hmm. But do you always find yourself just throwing the max? Do you have, like, some configurations you feel like are really important? Does it change lake to lake? Um. No, I would say the most important thing is throwing this one bait size. Like sometimes I'll throw a three three, sometimes I'll throw a three eight, sometimes a two eight. I think that's the main thing. Um, a rig tend to throw the six cents one as as much as I can. Uh, it seems it's it lasts the longest. Like a umbrella is a great a rig too, but those things break all the time. I mean, you're breaking an arm. It seems every other day on those things, and the six cents one lasts a long time. So that's when you can throw those and throw a, a 3.3 or a 3.8 on the back of that, that's the best. But there are times you need to downsize your swim bait to a 2.8 and get those those finicky fish to bite that thing. Okay. Yo, those six cents ones are actually pretty cheap too. Yeah. They're not crazy expensive. Yeah, very reasonable. Yeah. Um and they and they have the swivels and stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they're they're heavy duty. Uh, and then you pair that with the, the swim bait heads that they have the, I remember before I was throwing those swim bait heads, I'd go through a pack of swim baits. It seemed like every single five fish. And then now they have those screw locks on your superior swim baits and they last you. There was times I'd have that, the same swim bait on there that was barely hanging on there, but that screw lock was holding the head there. And I just, I was practicing. It's like, I ain't going to waste any more. So I just continue to use it. 
Yeah. Dude, screw locks are so clutch on swimming oh. heads. Like it's it makes a world of difference. Absolutely. You got no glue. You don't have to worry about ruining your head because you put a little glue on there or you set the hook and don't get a fish and you come back in and the tail of the or the body of the swim bait is slid all the way down the hook. Like makes it's the best thing ever. The the best thing about an A rig too is um when you can throw it, you can cover so much more water. Like I'm not not here to fool anybody that a jerk bait's better than an A-Rig because it's it's not because you can cover more water with it and the drawing power of an A-Rig is so much better. So it's nice when you can throw an A-Rig in these tournaments, you can cover so much more water and find fish down there that a jerk bait won't draw up what that the A-Rig will too. So it's it's really nice to be able to do that sometimes. You told me though you'd rather have Correct. A-Rigs not allowed. Correct. Than allowed though. Yeah. Despite, like you're super good with A-Rigs. I'm just yep. saying. Yep. No, it's, it's nice to have it for that. But in a tournament, I feel like I have the upper hand where they're not allowed. And that's okay. kind of, if you look at Lake of the Ozarks and the tournaments where you can't throw an A-Rig, I feel like I have won more of those tournaments versus where you can't throw an A-Rig. I'll still do well and win some, but it seems like if I'm quote unquote dominating one, it's where you can't throw an A-Rig. All righty. What about uh, live scope? Should we ban that too? I mean, no, no. <laughs> I'm just checking. Yeah, no. I, I obviously like. There's all these discussions on it's ruining fish and blah blah blah. But <sighs> smallmouth fish and smallmouth fish, and none of this was talked about until like one of the smallmouth tournaments where the guys were just looking at their screen the entire time. But dude, they're doing that anyway without live scope like if you look at, growing up they go to erie or wherever they were at and i'd have it recorded and if i'm being honest i didn't watch it i i didn't watch the smallmouth <laughs> tournaments before live scope and then now it's it's the same deal i mean people are just going to complain to complain and it is what it is see i will watch the heck out of a smallmouth tournament and i will watch it even more with live scope but that's probably because i live up here and like yeah i I, do think that's not a necessarily a totally common perspective right Um, but yeah i i'm obviously i'm all on board uh, yeah it's it's dude it's 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 honestly extremely fun watching tricking those fish to eat yeah i know you're targeting fish that you wouldn't before but when you get a one-on-one with a jerk bait or an a-rig or whatever you got in your hand even a even a jig like at the lake of the ozarks man i probably saw every one of my fish eat that jig or or the worm behind those docks too like it's if you're skipping behind a dock or something and you see a fish down there go to your jig and not bite it it tells you there's a fish there i'm gonna fish it two or three more times and then i'm gonna move whereas before it's like skip back there nothing 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 don't see nothing all right next dock. but now it's like you can use that in shallow water too and utilize it for catching fish like that as well where it's it's really important to be looking at that too yeah yeah and man scoping with a jig was big this year on the opens and maybe some on you know the uh toyotas and stuff like that especially around you mm-hmm. but like it turned out that like live scope with a jig is really powerful which yeah i'm not saying i I, I didn't really know the power of it beforehand, you know, I, it, but it really is obviously dialed some things in. Yeah, definitely. It's uh it is 
every bit as useful shallow water fishing as it is deep water fishing in my opinion yeah no it definitely is um i do feel i feel like probably like the next level of it isn't offshore like it's not necessarily catching these smallmouth on champlain that you see because i feel like that's pretty self-explanatory right i feel like that next level is like fishing with it in it's like what drew gill is doing right yeah where it's like fishing in like less than eight feet of water with it which Mm -hmm. seems to be the way things are going yeah like i mean that run that he went on this brought up drew gill sorry no no it's all good (laughs) He, he he got the job done and i just i just didn't but no he at uh, Eufaula is where it started with, with him fishing that way shallow. And then he came to the Ozarks and did the same thing. And I was like, what is he doing that is just yeah. got it dialed in? And that you're right. That's like next level stuff. That's why he's really good with it. Yeah. No, it's uh, it really, it, it really is like I, I haven't actually got to watch him fish as much as I'd like to because mm-hmm. I feel like if I could be there in person, I'd be like, I would be able to learn a lot. Yeah, but I've watched him enough where I was like, where I've been like, this guy is really like, his level of like comfort with it, really shallow, yeah, is really impressive. Yep. Which I'm sure you're the same way. It's just you sometimes you get in that, you know, you happen to see the guy at the right time, and that's when you can learn the most. You know. Mm-hmm. Definitely, definitely. Um, I guess looking at the Toyotas this year. You made a top 10 in every single one of them, I think. You made two top 10s here in 2022. Like, basically, you top 10 like a fifth of the time in just overall in like the tournaments mm-hmm. that you fished with us, which is, I feel like, a super good percentage. Like, what, uh, do you, what are some things you feel like you need to do to either, to, to get better, to close out a win? Like, is it a break or two? Is it, have you got a few things like 2024, I'm going to try and do this better, you know? Man. Because you're obviously fishing at a really high level. Yeah, that's that's the million-dollar question. I mean, I sit there and think about these tournaments, and it's like, did I not do enough? Did I do too much? And it's just, and I feel like the big thing is, is catching a break, too. Um I've made some very, very good decisions in these tournaments to get top tens, but it's like I need that one more very good decision to get a win. The Ozarks deal is just like over my head. I just don't get it. I was catching 15-something pounds a day on that lake for months, and then it's like I guess I didn't do enough on the final day, whereas beforehand it was like I'm doing too much, trying to make something happen where it's not happening instead of just letting it happen. This is the Plains Division event. Yeah, yeah, yep. and like the open, I mean, I had, I don't know, 15, 16 pounds a day, and that was just two weeks or whatever before, or a week before that, and I come out, catch 18 pounds, and then 15 pounds, and then it's like I catch two bass. It's like, yeah. what are we doing? Like, in, in theoretically, there's just no scenario where you don't come in with like 12 or 13. Dude, that's know? the thing. Like, I don't know, just not meant to be, I guess. I've won some tournaments where it was like, I can't believe that happened, like, like the biggest biggest tournament that was like it meant to be was the Bassmaster Team Championship a couple of years ago at Hartwell. We come in with we catch like 
almost 24 pounds at Hartwell in December and won by like five pounds. Like it just, it was meant, it was meant to be like made no bad decisions. And I feel like, wait, so have you fished the classic or am I totally missing it? No, I fished, I fished in the fish off and that's when Busby won. He won the fish off and went to Gunners. Okay. Okay. Yep. So we fished, we did the fish off. We won the tournament. And then Brock actually got second in the fish off, and I got like fifth or sixth. But so no, miss out on that opportunity as well. Uh, been close, been close, but it's just one of these days. I feel like it's going to happen, and I just keep putting myself in the situation. And one of these times, I'm going to guess right and catch that break. Like Grand Lake, same deal. I 23 pounds the first day, 15 the second, and then I catch four for. 13 or 14 pounds it's like dude just catch the fifth one and see what happens but didn't happen there either huh just catch the fifth one and see what happens it definitely is like i think that there's sometimes where there's not a lot of luck involved right where you are ahead of the game or you're just you have a like a really good day of fishing and like you a lot of things go right right but there are I think there's a lot of tournaments that are won by a coin flip or two here and there. And Uh, it's as simple as a fish getting off or you trigger one to bite and it gets the whole bait instead of half of the bait. Dude, I feel like that's the main thing. It's like I threw in front of the winning fish at Grand Lake, 100%. I threw in front of the winning fish at the Ozarks, 100%. Just getting them to bite. And like the Ozarks, here's how the day three went. Um, I start the morning off. I catch my first keeper with like, seriously, like my second or third cast. I'm like, all right, oh my gosh. we're going to do this for a while now. Two hours in, nothing. I'm like, all right, we're going to go shallow now, skip some docks. There's on the sides of these docks, you have three holes. So like the farthest one, the middle one, the front one. And I'm kind of going quick and I haven't caught one out off the end of the dock like ever. <laughs> And I skip the last hole, skip in the front and the second one, go to move, Collingwood flips in that one that I didn't skip in, two and three quarter pounder. And it's like, you've got to be kidding me. Like, why couldn't I just catch that fish in the middle one, but it didn't bite? And that fish alone, if I catch it, that's or if I flip in there, I probably catch it. That's angler of the year right there, but I didn't flip in that hole. And then I go behind a dock like 30 minutes later, skip behind it, see my line moving, set the hook, good one gets stuck on something in a foot of water, don't even know what it was, comes off. And it's like, dang it, man, there's another one. So there's two fish I left out there that I feel like I, I catch most of the time, and it's just a bad break. Yeah, no, that's tough. <laughs> but it is. It's not. It's it's as simple as it really, I, I, I don't know. It just seems tough to say, oh, it comes down to luck. Right, because Kevin Van Dam winning a million tournaments was not luck, right? Yeah. But sometimes luck is a factor, right? I think. I mean, I, I don't know. Be. It has to be. Like, you put yourself in the situations to be lucky. Like, you yeah. can't just go out there and not do anything and get lucky and win a tournament. You have to, like, do a lot to get lucky, if that mm-hmm. makes sense. Like, this year, I do feel like I got lucky, like – a decent amount, right? Yeah. Like I had a really good year of fishing Absolutely. and like there are some times where I'm like, that didn't need to be a 470 that I caught. It could have been a 380, you know? Yeah. It, yep. Like it could have jumped and got off. Like it's a small mouth, and you know? That's, and you won. And that's, yeah, it's just, that good. I, 
But my I, point I'm with you, there's too, some luck though. Yeah, my and you put yourself in a situation to be lucky. You worked hard to be in a situation like that. And I feel like that's important. Yeah, I think so. Is there is there anything that from either the preparation side of things or the uh or or that sort of thing that you are like this is something i can change to do better at or because this last year like it was really your two bad decisions one of them wasn't your fault right and the Mm. other one was i mean i guess it was kind of your fault like yeah right like you probably should have done something else but yeah you know everyone who doesn't win aoi probably makes one bad decision that year and honestly a lot of times if you win aoi you make a bad decision or two too probably yeah, no. Um, as far as preparation, I feel like um, I practice harder than most. I can't see everybody because I don't know how everybody is, but I know when you can be lines in, I'm lines in. When you can be lines out, I go all the way to the end every single day. And so th- as far as that part, I can't really change a whole lot there. But as far as making decisions during practice, like, I've, I've talked to Michael Harlan about this a couple times. It's like, dude, I'm, I'm so close to being like, I feel like I'm good and I've done good, but there's another level that you can be at. Like Michael Neal, Dakota Bear, like those guys, like they're next, like they're Jacob. Like, wake Willard, up those, with a top 20. How do they do it? Yeah. They're next level. Like I, I can't, I'm definitely not there. And I feel like that is trusting your abilities in practice and making those decisions in the tournament. So like, let's say, I figure out how to catch fish doing this. And instead of trying to find everything like that for the next three days, I'd like, okay, I can do this in the tournament. If I can't find anything else, I'll just do this the whole time. And now I can take those two other days and try to figure out something else. And then if they don't work, I can come back to how I caught them. So like right now I figure out how to catch them doing something and I will find everything in the lake that has to do with that. And then maybe that's that's what comes down to the I catch in the first two days, but that's all I know how to do. And then come day three, I need a backup plan. I don't have it. So day three, I have to now I have to get lucky during the tournament. Whereas if I would have took those other day or two in in preparation, doing something different and figuring out something different, then I have that in my back pocket. So like my practices instead of doing one thing when I figure out how to catch fish, it's trusting my abilities and my decision-making during the tournament to make those decisions right there and finding something different in practice. Does that make sense? Yeah. Clark's Hill could be a good example for uh, like on the Dakota side of things, right? Mm -hmm. To where he's at that next level because he had a morning spot that's pan out on day one and didn't really pan out on day two. And then he was like running brush piles. And then he was throwing a chatterbait on the bank and exactly. Like, and he was catching some fish scoping. Like he had a really diverse game plan and he also got lucky because like normally eight pounders don't bite twice. <laughs> no. uh, but you know, it, it was one of those deals where he had a, like he could have gone all in on brush, right? He could, which is what I would do. Scoping, you yep. Know? Which is I'm, I have not trusted my abilities to, to go do stuff like that. Like Lake of the Ozarks, I was doing two things the whole time. If I would have went out one of those days of practice and found some deep fish off main lake points instead of trying to find every certain dock that had fish on it, instead of just doing that in the tournament anyway, 
I spend three hours finding some deep fish that go fill a limit somewhere and I win the tournament. Same deal with Dakota. Like he's got not just B and C plan, but he's got D and F, D E F too, to go catch some fish. And I feel like that is the next level that I need to figure out for myself for next year. Um, you said that earlier that you played baseball in high school mm-hmm. and thought you were going to get drafted, played it in college, and then I guess kind of quit. Can you tell me about like what position did you play? How good were you? Like, were you a pitcher? Could you throw a hundred? Like, nah, so tell me, tell me about this a little bit because I kind of want to dig into like the mental side because yeah, I'm that's, curious about that. But just the that, nuts and bolts, what's going on? Yeah, dude. Baseball, like mentally, has prepared me for fishing. Mentally, I it's I, seriously like it's a big, big mental game on the water, and I feel like I get the strength from growing up being a baseball player. And it's kind of hard to explain because, like, when you're talking to somebody that, like, yeah, I bass fish, and it's like, well, do you really bass fish? Because there's there's levels to this, and that's kind of how baseball is. It's like you got these guys that say like they played baseball, and it's like, oh, cool, you played high school baseball somewhere, but it was like. No, like I played baseball. Like my dad got I played drafted bench in high school. Huh? I was I played bench in high school. I was <laughs> awesome. Yeah. Hey. <laughs> and then then my uh, junior year, I went and bass fished in all spring instead. <laughs> yep. Like all right, I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go catch some bass somewhere. But no, I my dad got drafted uh, out of junior college and played in the Phillies organization for a couple years. He became oh, a man. scout. So. Like growing up, that's, so you had someone who could actually give you some like good advice about this. Yeah. You weren't like, oh yeah, I'm awesome at baseball, and exactly. actually you were just the only guy in town who could play yep. me- medium. <laughs> yep, that's okay. That's exactly right. So like growing up, that was that was my deal. Like I was going to be a professional baseball player. Like there's no ifs, ands, or buts. Like that's what I was going to do. So like I traveled all around in high school and uh, summer ball. Like I'd go to Texas, Georgia. Mississippi I'd be on a charter bus like all summer long trying to trying to hit a baseball and then my junior year of high school I committed to go play uh, baseball here at a powerhouse uh, division two school called Central Missouri and go to the World Series every year and just a really good college for baseball and my senior year of high school I actually had more professional scouts at my games Video, like I'd be in the batter's box in the game and there'd be five professional scouts with their video camera, like recording me hit, take ground balls, like, like very seriously. And, um, I remember, so the draft is in June and that's when summer ball started. And I was talking to the diamondbacks, the Yankees, like several other teams, their, their head scouts, like before the draft, like, cause what they do is they, in baseball, when they draft you, you you don't have to sign. Like, they waste a draft pick on you, and let's say the money's not right, I'm not signing. Yeah. That's kind of what happened to me. It was like you're projected to go between the 8th and the, the 20th round for around $100,000. And me, being as good as I was or thought I was, I thought if I didn't sign out of high school, I'd develop and get better in college. And after my third year of college, I get drafted in the top 10 rounds. So come up, day before the draft, the Diamondbacks were calling my dad, like, hey, roughly, um, this is where we're at, 12th round for $90,000. It was like, okay, we'll do it. 
hour later, it's like, okay, now we're thinking 14th round, $85,000. It's like, hey, well, maybe, I don't know. And then they're like, all right, final one, like 16th round, $80,000. And we're just like, no, we're going to, we're going to go to college baseball and just see what happens. And ever since that decision, it was like professional baseball for me just kind of went downhill, like didn't get drafted, was bummed, should have just, instead of chasing the money, should have chased the dream at the time. And I had some unfortunate things happen to me in college and just didn't work out after that. I played four years though, competitively at college and uh, had a really good time and got better, but just was not at the time good enough to get drafted again or considered to get drafted again. And I feel like all of that mental stuff and just kind of believing in yourself and getting there's times I was down and you had to like mentally talk to yourself to get better. It's like being on the water, like you're 30 minutes left and you need to make one good decision to catch your fourth or your fifth one. And it's like, all right, stay mentally locked in. And if you're not mentally locked in, you might miss that bite. And I feel like it kind of sounds weird, but it does for me go hand in hand. Like I've been through a lot growing up in competitive sports to where it has prepared me for competitive fishing as well. Okay. First of all, you had some like excellent hair in college. Yeah. Not so much anymore on the top. (laughs) Well, I found, uh, you were number eight or is this, wait, this is maybe just a list of like the 20. I was number eight at central Missouri. Yep. Yeah. Okay. Um, But yeah, I'm looking at your stats and like they don't jump out to me. You got hit by a lot no. of pitches in 2014, but like you definitely didn't. I mean, I'm not that I'm like a baseball expert, but I feel like you did not play like at college at the college level. Like, oh, this guy's gonna get drafted level. Yeah. You know? So like my freshman year of college, so that's 20. I think it's 2014. That was my freshman year. You batted 229. You started 46 games. Yeah, that was. That was freshman year. Like, normally freshmen don't play that many games and start that many games at shortstop at a powerhouse uh, Division two school. And I did. And just, it's, I had an okay year for a freshman. Definitely yeah. not near as what I should have had. Like, in high school, like, I hit, like, like damn near 600. Like, like rate. Smokes. <laughs> Yeah, like good lord. Did did very, very, very well. The competition wasn't as good, obviously, but still like still. I should have hit at least three hundred that year. And then the next year, my sophomore year, I started to like not produce again. And then I started to see the bench a little bit. And then I was like, Okay, I lost my spot. I need to get better. So then that summer I worked my butt off and tried to earn the spot back and then had a really good fall like led the team in home runs and RBIs and all that stuff. And uh, come day one for my junior year, I didn't, I still didn't get to start. And it was like, all right, like what, what else can I do? And there's, there's a lot more to it than just hitting in the fall and stuff that makes the coach's decision or that he makes that decision on. Mm -hmm. And then after that, I was kind of like, I don't know, man, like I'm kind of over it. Like, if I can't get it this way, then it's like, what am I doing? Like, I'm just. You wish you had just said, "Hey, draft me out of high school, pay me whatever, I'll try this." Hundred percent, one hundred percent. Yep, That's I feel kinda, like it's. It's interesting. Like, oh, some people like they, 
you know, they might be like, man, I wish I had tried to be a pro fisherman, right? Or they like, or they'll say, well, at some point I'm going to try it, right? And yeah. fishing, you have a pretty long timeline where you can try it. Yeah. I would say maybe it's getting a lot shorter these days, but you kind of missed your timeline already, didn't you? 100%. Yeah. That's, I mean, you can, then Ron, just like recently start fishing again here a couple of years ago nelson uh kind of i, I mean yeah. i i feel like he's been fishing toyotas for like probably 10 years or at least eight or nine years but like he wasn't you know he Ron, wasn't I think 20 years in his old. 50s right like yeah he, it's not like he started when he was 20 yeah yeah so like baseball you're you're pretty much in college at 18 and you're done when you're 22 23 and like that's your chance right yeah, there that's it after that you're you the i mean there's not real <laughs> yeah exactly like there's it's just not realistic to play at a professional level after college if you're done you're 35 years old just not realistic interesting i didn't mean to like bring it down or anything i was just interested oh no man yeah trust me i've been through it it is all good that's why i coach now I'm washed up and I can teach these kids how to hit a baseball and field a ground ball. There you go. Um, which I mean, I would imagine like probably, well, maybe your part of the country, it's a little more baseball heavy, but like, I would say not every bit, you know, high school or whatever has a coach that actually played in college, you know, a lot of times yeah. it's probably somebody's dad. So that's, yeah, that is. And actually, uh, one of my best friends, he's the head coach and he, we both went to the same high school. He got drafted out of high school and played with the Rays for a couple of years in their organization. So we got an ex ex professional baseball player and then a college. Team. Yeah, so we we know we almost know too much telling these kids <laughs> at, at times, and it's like, yeah, they care, but they don't care as much as we do. And it's like, all right, we got to tone it down just a little bit and like yeah. make sure it's still fun for them. Yeah, it's like, man, what are you doing? You can't do this. Oh <laughs> it's like, yeah. We could it's, do this. It was yeah, easy. It's, yep. It's fun though. It's it's fun competition because like one day we had one of our kids pitching and he threw he threw hard for a high schooler and thought he was doing it right. And I'm like, give me a helmet. And I stepped up in there and hit off of him and just basically showed the kids like you can do this. It's not that hard. I haven't hit a baseball like live in four years. And I stepped in there my first at bat and hit. So it was like the mental side, like just sit there. And if you're thinking you're not going to hit, you're going to get in there. And you're not going to hit. You go out there and fish. And you're like, I'm not on them. I'm not going to catch them. You're probably not going to catch them. Hmm. That's uh, that that's cool. I hope that kid is like, you know, mentally okay after having his, uh, oh, yeah. his washed ancient, up, coach his, his probably washed up coach. Yeah. He's like, man, this guy's like a hundred years old. Yep. He, he doesn't oh, yeah. have any hair on top of his head anymore. He's like, this guy, and this that's guy's coming hitting off me. <laughs> yep, that's the sign when you know you're 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 past your your prime is you start having a bald spot on the on the top and back of your head, and all you got left is this. That's why you wear a hat because it looks like I got hair. That's why I drive a slow boat. It's to yeah. try to keep it on there for longer. <laughs> yeah, when you know you know you're losing your hair when you you come back in and your buddy said, I thought that was brad's bald head driving down the lake and i was like yeah that was me tragedy <laughs> that was me Gosh. yep um that's uh that's cool i'm glad we went down this like little 
side route. I mm-hmm. I always make fun of Gray Buck because I say that he gave up an NHL career to be a pro fisherman, and he actually didn't. Like it was one thing that Z Man wrote once about how like Gray played hockey, and Gray was not ever NHL. Like he wasn't close to yeah. getting drafted. He just <laughs> liked to play hockey, right? Right. And he's you know he's a athletic guy, I'm sure, but. You know, you actually were, you know, you were in the ballpark much more than anyone else. Most other, you know, pro fishermen are, I would say. Yep. Yep. It was, it was a big deal for me. Um, that is for sure. My, like my, pretty much my whole life. That's what it was. Yeah. So did you, you probably didn't fish in college at all then. You would have yeah. graduated or maybe not graduated and just got out. And then you start fishing a lot more, start guiding, like. At the so, same time and roll it from there. So kind of backtrack a little bit. My dad, very similar like career with like as me. Like played baseball, got done with baseball, started fishing. So twenty nine now. My dad's been down in Warsaw, I think thirty years now. So like when I play these games and stuff, it wasn't like I never fished because he's been a guide on the lake for thirty years. So okay. my brother and I would come down, spit spend some time with him on the weekends and we'd go fish like whenever I didn't have a game or something or like right now when there's no baseball, we'd go out and fish. So fishing has been a part of my life, like my whole life as well, because he's been fishing his whole life, but it was never really like something I considered until I was about, I don't know, like 20 maybe. And, uh, but he's definitely paved the the way for me to be a guide like him and my uncle, both they had, they get so many trips that, uh, like let's say March 27th, they both have somebody call them and they're both booked. It's like, here, my son, my nephew, he's got it open, take him fishing. And then once I took them fishing, it was like, they most of the time, those people that come the first, it's getting them in the boat the first time. And once they come the first time, they have a good time. They want to come back the next year. And that's kind of how my, my fishing uh, guiding started. I'd get a couple guys that have a good time. They come back, they tell their friends and, and so on and so forth. But yeah, so like growing up, I played baseball and that was my deal, but I also fished a little bit. And then like once all the stuff in college wasn't really happening, it was like, all right, I'm hoping my games get canceled so I can go bass fish. So I didn't really uh, have the opportunity to competitively bass fish until I was probably 22, 23 I mean, you you can probably look to see like my first year of the BFLs. I don't remember if it was like 2017 or 2018, but that was Stand my by. that was my first full season uh, fishing competitively. I would say 2018, you finished uh, six in the points. Yep, that was the Ozark. The Ozark division is super good too. Oh yeah, like, that's yeah. Not, that's not like easy to do. No, it's like. You're, you're fishing against these guys that, like, like Marcus, Roger, and Dennis, they have, like, I, c- I couldn't even tell. It was ridiculous. Roger came across the stage one time, and it was, like, I don't I don't want to say exactly how many top tens it was, but it was absurd how many top tens he had versus everybody else. It was, like, this is the guy. We, we have to fish against this guy every single time, like, and there's there's like ten guys that are like that, but maybe how many top tens does he have? Are you looking at it? Yeah, I am. He's got sixty one top tens. That's more tournaments than you fished, dude. Uh, it's he's got crazy. ten wins. He's made uh three hundred and eighty thousand. And this is like 
by and large mostly like Toyotas and BFLs. Yes. Like he I would say mostly BFLs. Mostly yeah. BFLs. He's won like multiple regionals. Like, but that's the thing. Like, that's who we get to fish against. That's why he's been in the All American eight times. He really needs to win the All American. I can't believe he hasn't yet. He's been, <laughs> he came like, close. He's been close too. Yeah. He's been in the hunt. Yep. He's got a couple top tens. And Dennis Burhorst, same way. Yep. Dude's got 10 wins. Marcus, 10 wins. It's like the list goes on and on around here. But that's why this quote unquote yeah. younger guys coming up, like, Myself, Brock, uh, Harlan, Austin. This is who we fish against, and to compete, we have to beat those guys. So that's why we were confident enough to go try this at another level because we feel like we're trying to, or we've kind of somewhat prepared ourselves to fish against these very good fishermen because that's what we do around here. These guys, they know how to catch them. Yeah, if you're hanging with those guys, like, and if you look at how often those guys hang in Toyota Series competition, right? Mm-hmm. whether it's at the home pond or regionally, like I feel like it really does. Like if you're doing well in Missouri, like you can step out, I think with a much higher degree of confidence than like a lot of other places like Alabama, yeah. Missouri. Like I feel like in the South, like you can step out and do other stuff and be like, all right, this is going to go well. Like if you're doing awesome in Maryland or awesome in New York, like, that's great, but it's not quite the level of, you know, some of the hotbeds. Right. That makes sense. No, I, I definitely agree. I feel like the Ozark anglers, obviously there's fantastic, like Brandon Polonic, Idaho, like not much bass fishing around there, I don't think. And he's one of the best, if not the best at, at right now to where. But if you're coming out of the Ozark region, it seems like you can be competitive really anywhere. It's hard to get those other guys to come to an Ozark Lake and be kind of successful because they don't. And th- and that goes to sh- that goes to say of how like diverse our fisheries are around here. Like you go to Table Rock and you catch them out of a hundred feet of water. You go to Truman Lake and you catch them in the trees and a foot of water. It's like we have all these lakes around here where you can fish different styles and different ways. And the only thing we don't have is grass. So I would say as an Ozark yeah. angler, that's our weakest deal is fishing grass but it's one of my favorite ways to fish because i don't get to do it a whole lot and that's i mean a perfect example is gunnersville really like the second time i ever fished grass i went there found like the most unbelievable spot ever but didn't really know what i found so day one i didn't do where the dang and day two i'm like i'm gonna learn and i caught like almost 19 pounds there so it was like okay now i learned and then I took what I learned there and took it to lacrosse. So found these fish. They move in the grass. I don't know how to figure out how to catch them in the grass when they move. And what you do is you pretty much just kind of wait them out and try to figure out where they went in the grass instead of just leaving the whole area. So day two of the lacrosse tournament, they, I wasn't catching them the same way I caught them the first day. And instead of leaving like I did at Gunnersville, I, I hunkered down to figure out like, what they were doing in the grass and caught them again. And I felt like if I didn't learn from Gunnersville, like how to fish and move in the grass, I wouldn't have done that at lacrosse and I would have, I would not have done as good. Are you talking the Toyota series championship at Gunnersville? Yep. Okay. Yep. Yeah. Like did found the most unbelievable spot ever. And then like three hours into the tournament, my coingler caught like big bass on the coingler side and on this spot 
and three hours in, I hadn't caught anything left, didn't catch anything the rest of the day. Day two, I was like, I ain't got nothing to lose. I'm going to figure out what these fish did. And then ended up catching over 18 pounds a second day for sure. And I was like, okay, now yeah. next time, <laughs> next, next time I figure out how to catch them in the grass and practice, I'm not leaving. I'm just going to try to figure out where they went in this grass. I like it. Um, do you like being a guide? Like, do you find yeah. that, does that teach you stuff or not so much, but it, you know, like you enjoy teaching people and putting people on fish? Yeah. So that's, that's my deal. Like I, I, and talking about guiding, I guide for crappie and white bass. I actually don't guide for bass. Oh, not even for bass at all. Okay, no, cool. No. So I really, really enjoy getting somebody out there that's never fished before and just them catching fish and they like, like, oh, this is a blast. Like, cause there's a lot of people out there that think fishing's boring. And mm-hmm. I would get that. Like they get out there and they don't catch any fish. Yeah, it's gonna be boring. But my job is to put them on the fish and they bring their kids, like, hey, he's 12 years old, he's never fished before. I'm like, oh perfect. Like this is my favorite thing to do. So yeah. I teach these kids how to fish. And then now they have something to look forward to every year. Like, hey, we're gonna go on a guide trip with Brad again next year. Like it's it's awesome. It's a really good mix between being very competitive in my tournaments and then going out there and t- having these kids and, and grownups have a, have a good time, like go on vacation and go fishing with me. Like we've had, we have bachelor trips come down and go crappie fishing with us on Truman Lake. Like, okay. It's yeah. Hard like these guys, there. these guys really look forward to coming to hanging out with us and f- go fishing. Like, do my you dad and my guide uncle. out of your bass boat, or do you got? Do you have nope. like a pontoon or something that you have like tricked out? Nope, got out of the old Phoenix. Go crappie okay. fishing, white bass fishing. That carpet has got to be interesting. You in you'd be surprised at how good that carpet cleans up. And the the worst thing that's ever been in my boat was grease, and that was from me. And if you can get grease out of carpet, like you know when people wash their tractors and stuff, I live pretty i live on some acreage and i've got a bunch of land around me that people like farm on and stuff and mm-hmm. they went and power washed their big rig or something in the in the power wash and got grease from the tires all over the floor and i stepped in it the day that i went in there and then stepped it. in your dude i i was so mad i was cleaning my boat to sell it and put it up <laughs> on facebook that day and I stepped from the back of my boat to the front of my boat, about 10 footprints of grease. Oh, and grease dude. doesn't come out with soap and water. Like it makes it worse. So how did you, you get it out? What did you use? Is it like gasoline Dawn or nope? Gasoline. Oh gosh. That's my, terrible. <laughs> dude. I could not figure it out. My grandma knows everything. So I'm like, what do I do? She's like, just put gasoline on it and scrub it. I'm like, there's no way I'm putting gas on my boat. It's going to ruin it. She's like, nope, just try it. I'm like, all right, whatever. I'm out of options. I poured a little bit on this rag and I started scrubbing it, scrubbing it, and I'll be dang if it came up. And I was like, holy crap! So spotless. After that, I couldn't believe it. But blood and fish poop, it it cleans out pretty easy with a little little power wash. You just don't want to power wash it with soap. Just power wash it with straight water. Just water. Yep. Okay. All right. Well, I tell you what, man, we've been on the phone now here for uh, over an hour, which I am very appreciative of, uh, especially on your birthday. I didn't mean to like just pull your entire afternoon down the drain here. No, 
my wife and kids are gone. I'm just here with the dogs watching The Office and watching Sam Rayburn videos. So it was a good <laughs> little, go. little step back there. Well, it sounds sounds good to me, man. Um, where uh, where can folks follow you? I mean, where can they book a guide trip? Like, if you got anything to plug, now's the time. Hey, um, my guide service is really just my cell phone. Just call me at, I guess, I give my cell phone number if they want it. Sure. <laughs> I'm not, I probably won't like type it out in the podcast description. No, nah, man, you're uh, I good. I don't know if we want that, but we'll just, we'll just do my, my Facebook and my Instagram. My Facebook is Brad Jelinek fishing. And then my Instagram is Brad Jelinek fishing. I do my guiding through my Facebook and then I do all my social media posts on Instagram and Facebook as well. Um, but yeah, I just travel around and try to catch as many bass as I can and then try to put people on as many crappie and white bass as I can. Do you sell the jellyfish hats? Because I, yeah. I know you have merch. Do you want one? I got. I, mean, I should get one at some point. Yeah, honestly. I gave They're Matt one. Dope. I gave Matt Brown one, so I got you. Next time I see, are you going to be at Rayburn? I believe so. I'd probably be the, the next time I see, I'll bring you one. I'll send you some pictures of some that I got. All right. Well, we'll bring it to Rayburn. You can yep. win it. We'll do day five matching hats. God, like man. Plan? That's, that's my lifelong <laughs> dream and goal is to be day five with Jody White out, out there on the water. That's my goal. My dream. All right. We're going to get you some bigger goals, but it should be a good time. <laughs> <laughs> yep. I'll take it. All right, man. Well, hey, thanks for uh, coming on the show. I really appreciate it. Thanks for your time, as always. And uh, hang on here while I hit end and uh, listen up what we play.